Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, this is an amazing text, to be honest with you. Uh, but I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, Corinthians is an amazing text. But I find myself, I kind of shared this morning in Sunday school, I find myself, I feel like I'm trying to run a 100-meter dash in sand. And I, I'm not sure if I'm getting any traction or not. Um, but that's, I guess that goes where I'm going to trust in the king. I'm looking at an area now that a lot of people just dive into. They negate verses 1 through 3. And 1 through 3 sets the precedence. 4 through 7 gives us an overview of what he's about to deal with. But you can never teach or understand spiritual gifts unless you deal with chapter 12, 13, and 14. And that's what we've been looking at. We looked at last week that there was an importance to the spiritual gifts. That's verse 1. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Not only that, the emphasis is that I want you to understand spiritual gifts in such a way that you have the ability to discern them, but you also have the ability to encourage others to operate in them. I shared with you uh, Dr. MacArthur's illustration, and I'll get it again because it's very evident in this text, that 2,000 years ago, the Word became incarnate, okay? Uh, Jesus took on the veil of humanity and walked among us. Today is body number two. That is the body of Christ, the church. And God has poured His Spirit into us in such a way that we literally, as we gather together as a congregation, as a fellowship of believers... That we incarnate Christ. You do it on an individual basis, you should. But you also do it in a most miraculous way. When you gather the people together in the power of the Spirit, they literally manifest the unity that exists in the Godhead. If you remember, he shared in chapter 1 of this letter that you must be of the same words. You must be of the same judgments. Why? Because that unity is supernatural. If you look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, He says that they would be one, Father, as you and I are one. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. So when I look at this, I see a source and a purpose for spirituals. What are spirituals? What are these gifts? What is this thing that we have? Well, we believe in God. Okay? We believe that He has manifest Himself, uh, and He is known in three persons, yet they are all one. I mean, this text here is the one that I have people say, well, the Trinity is never taught in the Bible. Really? It says here, same Spirit, same Lord, same God. What is that? I mean, the word Trinity ain't used, but what do you get out of that? And yet, I wonder this day... How many understand that? They're all one, and yet there's three persons. They're in total agreement. I find that fascinating. Have you ever seen husband and wife? The two are real close to one, meaning that they live in the same home. No, really, they are one. And what is that a picture of? Of Christ. 
And yet, are they of the same word? Are they of the same judgments? Sometimes they are, sometimes they ain't. Yet Godhead is in total unity. And yet they are three. So what I want to try to deal with, last year when I was in the lands of the czars, I, I love to teach on something that is very dear to me. And I taught on the person of the Holy Spirit. Now you need to understand something. I was taking eight or nine hours a day for five days to teach it. Uh, I taught it here on Sunday nights several years ago, actually before we moved to this building. And it took me uh, almost three years to cover it. And so you guys really need to listen fast today because I will take that three years teaching and cover it in about 15 or 20 minutes. Okay, I will break every law on preaching. Three points and hammer to points. I've got 14 points. Okay, so you'll need to write notes or get the sermon or get online or get something to that effect. Because I want to focus on the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit today in the body of Christ is understanding who he is is lacking. Um, I see what I call the liturgical church, uh, very fundamentalist. They're afraid of him. You know, that, and, and then I see the charismatics, and, and they, they blame him for everything. Uh, and and I, there's, there needs to be a balance. He, he's, he's right here. Okay? And, and I've been dealing with that in spiritual gifts. If you want to test a gift, uh, all you have to ask yourself a question is, does Jesus manifest that gift? If Jesus did not manifest that gift then um, it ain't his. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is about. All right? Do I understand what the Holy Spirit's ministry truly is? Um, let me see if I can help here. I'm going to try to start small and go huge. Okay? What does he do? What is he about? First of all, I want to clear up something. He is not an it. Okay? I hear a lot of people say it is the Holy Spirit. No, he is the Holy Spirit. Um, but when he ministers, he ministers only to two kinds of people. Okay. Please understand that. He's very specific. Only two kinds of people. Those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, I've heard it said the saints and the ain'ts. All right. Um, to the lost, those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a, a ministry of conviction. John's Gospel, the 16th chapter, says he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. It's an amazing phrasing if you really want to think about it. He points out first and foremost that you're a sinner. Okay, now, lost people don't like to know that. They like to say that they have a problem. Okay, but, but that, that, that rationale is, is not a new thought rationale. Uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic because my grandpa was a moonshiner. Um, but the truth of the matter is, that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Okay? Why did you do this, Eve? It was the snake's fault. Okay? Why did you do this, Adam? Well, it was your fault. You made her. Okay? So when you struggle with sin, any kind of sin, I don't care what the sin is, if you want to know the reason for it, it's Adam. Now that we got that dealt with, now what? Okay, but he will convict of sin, but he also convicts us of righteousness. Now, understand what I'm saying. He convicts lost people of righteousness. One of the things that I hear complained about in our government today is that we're trying to legislate immorality. Do you hear what I said? 
I think I said that right. See, I've heard people tell me that you can't legislate morality. Well, is murder immoral? Yeah, okay, so you do legislate immorality. But what you see in the Congresses and the governments today is that we're trying to legislate immorality. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit is moving, that righteousness is that right standing with God. And if I don't have that right standing with God, he will convict me of it. But he will also convict me of judgment. You know what that means, right? People get scared. If you don't believe me, when a person gets a diagnosis of a terminal disease, what's the first thing steps up? Fear. Why? Oh, I'm getting ready to step into a place that I don't understand. I'm getting ready to step into something that what if there is a God and now all of a sudden I have to be accountable for all the times I said there wasn't a God. So you see the Holy Spirit working in lost people basically in three phases. Conviction of sin, conviction of what is right, what is literally right. But also he convicts in the, the form of fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation. And that fear comes from... From the Holy Spirit. Okay. In those three is the work of the Holy Spirit that he brings people to God. All right. That's pretty simple. Uh, if you've ever, you ever tried to share your faith with unbelievers. And sometimes you just feel like you're wasting your time. You might be. You might be. Okay. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't working in that soul. Um, you're casting your pearls before swines. But what about believers? What happens to us after we've been convicted and we've been drawn into the kingdom? Okay. Well, now his ministry is a little more complex. And uh, once you come to know Christ Jesus, you've been born into the family of God. Um, what does the Spirit does? And I believe that this is proof that there are still miracles. Okay. Because he does amazing stuff. Okay, so I want to give you two thoughts now, okay, on what he ministers. One, individually. What does he do for me as a Christian, you as a Christian, individually? Okay, whether you want to call it your prayer closet, your devotional times, your quiet times, whatever you want to call it, what does he do in my life individually? I mean, I'm talking about separate from your wife, from your kids, you as a child of God. And then I want to look at what does he do collectively through the body of Christ when the saints have drawn together. Okay? So here we go. Listen fast. Okay? First thing he does individually, that's what I'm going to deal with. Individually, as a Christian, he regenerates us. What? He regenerates us. It's a theological term. He causes us to be saved. Okay, John's Gospel, chapter 3 says, you must be born of the Spirit. Okay, if you're not born of the Spirit, you are not His. Okay, so regeneration is, this is the one that's, that's really hurting the church. Remember when we stopped in uh, Corinthians and I took what was going to be six weeks, it ended up 11 weeks or something like that, teaching on what true Christianity is? Okay, this is the regenerate work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of transformation. When the Holy Spirit works in a human soul, there is a change that is seen, that is evident. 
That change is the Holy Spirit moving. He continues in that change, in the transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, You are being transformed from glory to glory into the image of what? Of Christ. Listen, if you don't have that going on, you got a problem. And I mean, it is the biggest problem you got. I don't care where you are. You may have problems in your relationships or work or this or that. If you don't see yourselves being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that could be the deadliest problem you've ever stepped into. All right, so the Holy Spirit regenerates us. Okay, but now watch these stack. Okay, now you need to understand that I took a lot of time to teach you, so you're going to have to do some of your own legwork in this. All right, a second thing he does because of the regeneration... The second thing he does is that he assures us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we remain in him because he has given us his spirit. Okay, His spirit witnesses with my spirit. Now, I want you to understand where the spirit is. The spirit is in that inner man. That's where your conscience hangs out. That's where your heart is, the seat of your emotions. That's where the person that you are, that's that place that nobody has total access to. Okay? That's where them thoughts come in every once in a while. You say, what was that? And you throw that thing out. Okay? That's that place. Now, the Holy Spirit's hanging out in there. And He does what? Bears witness with mine that I am His. That I am His. Okay? Romans chapter 8 says that we are children of God. One of the best doctrinal teachings on the person of the Holy Spirit is the 8th chapter of Romans. He is mentioned more in the 8th chapter of Romans than any text in Holy Writ. So I'm thinking that it's kind of important. But He assures us. Uh, if you see someone, have you ever seen someone who doesn't have confidence in their salvation? I'm not sure I'm saved. You know, I keep doing this. You know what? There might be a reason that they don't have confidence. They may not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to be sure. Listen, being a Christian is more than intellectual ascension. Okay? There is a confidence in the soul of a Christian that says, I am a child of God. I may not know everything. I may stumble around and fall. But he comforts me. He says, I will send you a counselor. I will send you a comforter. Is he lying? The counselor, the comforter is who? Holy Spirit. And he is assuring to you. Listen, there's times, have you ever stumbled into sin? Or you fall into something and you doubt your salvation? How long does it last? Just a few moments. Why? Because the counselor, the comforter, bears witness with your spirit. Hey, it's all right. It's all right. Okay? Third thing he does. He adopts us. Okay? He reveals, he reveals in us our sonship. That we are children. We have been grafted in. Galatians chapter 4 verses 5 and six says this, when the spirit come, he causes us to cry, Abba. 
I was memorizing Israel a couple of years ago, and you'd see these kids running around going, Abba, 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 Abba. And, you know, and I don't know the language, but I knew that word. Okay? And you see these little, little girls ones that I saw, and they're all trying to point to the store. And I'm thinking, it's, it's like that everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> Daddy, I want one of those. Okay? Do you realize, you know, the best illustration that I have of this, and some of you will remember this and some of you won't, and those that don't, you need to repent. There used to be a Life magazine, and I don't even know if they make Life magazine anymore, but this was during the Kennedy administration. And on the front of the cover was John F. Kennedy sitting at this great big old huge desk. Okay, I mean, this is the Oval Office with the president of the free world sitting there. And there was a little door in the front of the desk, and John, John was coming out the door. Okay, and I'm thinking, here's a guy who's dealing with the Cuban Missile Crisis and, and the Gulf of Tonkin and all that other stuff that got us through the 60s. And here's the son of the president coming out that little door. Okay, and I just thought, oh, how cool. And I'm just kind of... I'm playing Legos in the Oval Office, okay, as we get ready to blow each other up with nuclear warheads, all right? Now, take that to the infinite side. That's your relationship with God. But it takes the Holy Spirit to do that, okay? It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. I am an heir, to the things of God. I am joint heir with Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit does that. I can literally say, Father in heaven, Daddy, Papa. It's intimacy. It's endearment. My wife sung this morning that love is near. Yeah, why? Papa is near. Abba is near. Daddy is near. The Spirit of God individually gives a sense of being a son or a daughter to God. Please understand that. If you could ever grasp that, that is one of the most amazing things I've ever grasped. I am a son of he who created time. He who created space, energy, matter, is my father. Okay? And you have what problem? But look at what we do. See, and that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, fourth thing that He does is that He seals us. He seals us. It used to be in the ancient times that if I had something that belonged to me, that either through wax or clay, all right, they would uh, have the clay wet or the wax molten, and He would take a ring of the king or the owner, and He would press a stamp into it, and that said, that's mine. Okay, uh, it could be on a title deed for a piece of property and he would take his ring and he'd roll it in that wax and he said, see, this is my seal, this is mine. Or it could be on a doorway into a piece of property, into a house, an apartment or whatever they had back then and he would have a clay part that would be wet and he'd take his wing and he'd press it into it and say, this is my belongings. And they did this with uh, uh, lots of stuff. It's sort of like what we do with VIN numbers and titles and stuff like that that says that this number validates that this belongs to me. Well, the Holy Spirit makes it official too. We are stamped by God the Father by His Spirit. Uh, he gives us the Spirit and it's putting His stamp, God's stamp of authenticity to us. Okay, You see it fleshed out. You see it in people when they manifest the attributes and character of who? Their Father. 
their father. Basically, it's the heavens screaming, this child belongs to me. I like that. I, I just think that's totally cool. Okay. Um, fifth thing. The Holy Spirit indwells us. I'll give you one in line here because you'll see how this all plays together. Chapter 12, verse 13. By one spirit, we were immersed, baptized into one body. Into one body. I remember when I was in Russia last year, the first week of April, I guess it was, and I I preached, uh, is that right? Yeah. I preached a sermon in this church, huge church in Oriel. And all of a sudden, they... uh, they came out and, and were getting ready to serve the Lord's table. And all I could think of, now I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 hours ahead of you guys, but I thought about you guys were going to take the Lord's table at the same, you know, that day. I was just a little more ahead of you. And I thought, there's a unity there that even though I am here in this country and, 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 and on that continent, and I was partaking of the Lord's table, I still had a oneness with you guys. But I also had a oneness with these people who, who I could not speak their language nor they speak mine. Okay? And, and that was the Holy Spirit saying, you are in the body, whether it's in the lands of Russia, whether it's in China, whether it's in America, North America, South America, wherever you are. Romans 8 verse 9 says, if you are saved, you are indwelt. Listen, there's a teaching that is going on right now that says that you get saved and you can act like a devil. And then some point in time, the Holy Spirit comes and, and then you get to do something really weird. Okay, the only problem with that teaching is it's not biblical. Okay, there isn't a second blessing. Okay, the fullness of God is in the child of God. Okay, sixth thing, Holy Spirit. Now, this is individuals. He frees us. I was trying to get a text to deal with that and it dawned on me. The text is the book of Galatians. (laughs) That's the whole book. Okay, is that I am free in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. I have a freedom. We dealt with that earlier in this text. It says, I shall not be mastered by anything. All things are profitable, but not all things are... um, All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. So, I am free from the law. Okay, what I mean by the law, I'm free from having to please God from self-effort. Okay, it doesn't say, well, the Ten Commandments don't abide to me. That's not what it says. I don't have to try to please my Father. He has already done it. It is through us. Uh, I don't have to worry about my righteousness. I, I don't have to worry about a system to make me holy. I'm free from sin. Sin no longer has mastery over me. None. I'm free from Satan. I'm free from my flesh. I'm free from the world. All of this is individual by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Seventh thing He does for the individual. He empowers us. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, After you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive... Power. 
power from the heavenlies. Jesus was emphatic about this because he wanted the people to know that it is better that I leave. Why? So that the Spirit will come. Okay, now you think about that for a second and let that rationalize in your head. But it would be more fun to be, you know, out on the fishing boat and which side should I cast my net so I can catch all these fish? But he said, it is better for me to leave. Why? Because then you will receive power from on high. What power is that? The same power that courses through my veins. What power is that? The power over fear. The power over the world. You will be empowered by this. When the Spirit comes, you will only have the power source that spoke existence into being. That's all. Okay? Um, Another text that I want you to turn over to because it's kind of cool. Another thing that he does, see, seven was he empowers us. Eight, he makes us holy. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is an amazing book. Because the first three chapters, he just tells the Thessalonians how great they are. I mean, just really amazing stuff. And that literally all of Christendom has heard what God was doing in Thessalonica. And that, it, that their testimony of what God was doing is throughout Achaia and Macedonia. All the saints of the world were hearing. And then he says this in chapter 4, verse 1 through 8 is what we're going to look at. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you... Received from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Okay? For you know what the commandments we gave by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. Anybody ever been asked that or you ever asked that? What is the will of God? It's next. Your sanctification. You know what that means, right? Holiness. You're set apartness from the world. Okay? You're set apartness from the world. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Well, duh. Okay? If you know the history of Thessalonica, you'll understand why he said that. To each of you needs to know how to possess your own vessel. In what? Holiness and in honor. Not in the lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress or, transgress or defraud his brother in matter because the Lord is the avenger. I like the way he throws that in there. That's sort of like saying, you know what? If you cheat another saint, know that God's going to get even. Golly, that sounds kind of nasty, doesn't it? But that's what he's saying. And if you're going to take care of your own vessel, if you take care of your vessel, you know what you'll have a tendency to do? You'll take care of other people's. All right, look what, I, look what he says. <clears throat> Just as we also told you before, solemnly warned you, verse 7 says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in what? Holiness. Sin, sanctification. Listen, people. In the Hebrew language, they don't have, what do they call them thing? Adjectives. Okay? Now, adjectives modified a noun. They don't have adverbs. Okay. You see, I did well in English class. Um, They don't have them. So to bring emphasis to something, they just repeated it. That's all they did. I mean, if I want to bring emphasis to it, saying, man, that thing is humongous, they would just repeat it. Do you know there's only one attribute of God 
that is repeated. And it's repeated three times. He isn't a God of love, love, love. He's not a God of mercy, mercy, mercy. But He is a God that is holy, holy, holy. Same word. How can you not see that in a Christian? You have the power of the Holy Spirit in that vessel, that human vessel. Who wins? The vessel? No. And that vessel should be holy, holy, holy. Look what it says. Verse 8 is the one that I really want to jump down on. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who does what? How does sanctification take place? Through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Okay. Number nine. <clears throat> Back to our text in 1 Corinthians. Um, number nine is that he gives, he reveals truth. Okay, he reveals truth. He makes it real to us. He makes it, he illuminates it. Whatever term you want to use, I, I'm not sure. Let me show you something. Uh, we've studied this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Okay, he's, Paul contextually is talking about relying on the Spirit. Okay, he says, I didn't come in superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming you to testimony. He says, there wasn't nothing there in and of myself that worked. So in ver- chapter 2, verse 9, he says this, but it is written, okay, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man... All that God has prepared for those who love Him. Okay, The Apostle Paul takes two Old Testament texts, Isaiah 64 verse 4, Isaiah 65 verse 17, draws them together, and basically here's what he said. The eye has not seen. Okay, That would be the guy, the man, the human who is looking for truth, and what is his ability to see it? There isn't one. Okay, He says, ear has not heard. All right? He says, I can't even hear it. When God speaks, that small, still voice, He says, natural man can't hear that. He says, and neither has it even entered into the heart of man. Okay? Basically what he's saying is, if you take philosophy, if you take experience, if you take neither, or, or, uh, knowledge, and you throw them all together, none of them can show you the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. No, they could, nothing can compare you for it. You can't get it. You don't have physical abilities to understand the things of God. It is always revealed how? To the Spirit of God, to the heart that is humbly before the King of kings and Lord of lords. So man's senses, his philosophies, his knowledge cannot discover God. That's what drives me nuts when I hear people say, I'm seeking. Well, what are you looking for? What are you seeking after? And most of the time, what you'll find is they want to create God in their own image. Okay, This is all revealed by His Spirit, the Spirit of God in us. He teaches us. Um, we rightly divide truth so that perhaps we can share it if God gives us the, 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 the privilege. But sometimes, many times, 
We literally believe that it's our responsibility to teach it. You don't have that ability. You can't change the heart. Do you really have the ability, do you think, to... Listen, we're all conservative evangelicals. And we all sit there and say, I can't save nobody. But you know what I see conservative evangelicals trying to do? I can't save you, but now that you're saved, I'll make you holy. Realize how goofy that statement... And see, we in our logic will back away and say, well, that's nuts, I can't do that. But what do we see us trying to do? Okay? He also, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he guides us. As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. He guides us. I like that. Now remember what we're looking at. Individually, He guides us. I mean, Romans chapter 12 says that if I'm not conformed to this world, but I am renewed, then I will have the ability to know the perfect will of God. Okay? Do you understand that 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 is the detailed will of God? You know, uh, the will of God is for me to be sanctified. But what are the details? He will get you that if you will move out of the mold of the world. I see too many Christians who are in the mold of the world thinking that they're going to increase. Okay, eleventh thing. He even prays for us. Romans 8 says, The Holy Spirit intercedes with utterances that are, cannot be humanly discerned. Okay, there's times, if you've been in situations, where you don't know what God's will is in the outcome. But you know you really need to be praying about it. Okay, there's times that we've prayed and we've wept and we've groaned. And we don't even know what we're trying to say. We don't know what we're asking for. And yet, at that very moment, Romans 8 says, He who knows the perfect will of God intercedes on your behalf. Who is that? Holy Spirit. I like that. Listen, it's not a prayer language. It's a language that I can't say. Why? Because I don't know what He wants. I don't know what He wants. All I know is that, Lord, I'm in this position and I'm either hurting or somebody's hurting and I want to see you glorified. And God says, got it covered. Okay, and the Holy Spirit says, shh, be quiet, I'll handle it. And all you got is groaning or crying going on. I remember that night. <clears throat> well, it's to the process of the day. The Columbine shooting. They'd ask for spiritual people to come up to the, to the library and, and, I don't know, stand there, I guess. I, th- I think that's what I was, you know, if you want a chaplain or a pastor or something like that. So I was standing in this library, and this library is packed with parents. I mean, there wasn't room to exhale. And they would, these buses, school buses, would come up to the door, and these kids would come out, and you see these parents running out and just elated. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay? And as the day drug on, that group got smaller and smaller. And you see these elated parents running out going, there's my little darling or whatever. It got dark. As it got dark, all of a sudden... We'd run out of buses. And I could look at these parents and you knew their kids weren't coming home. 
What do you pray? What do you pray? I mean, I thought about that little bracelet. What would Jesus do? WWJD? I'd raise the dead. That ain't hard. But then it dawned on me, how about walking with Jesus daily? That's all I had. What, what, what am I going to tell these people? Okay? That's the kind of stuff that he got, that he's interceding on behalf of us. All right? Now, just those 11. Do you realize how important it is to have him? We kind of need to be aware of what he's about, huh? Okay? God gives us, the children of Christ, individually, the fullness of his spirit. Okay? But what about corporately? When we gather together, we're here, to, here, here this morning. What about us, the church? Well, first thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, The church is the habitation of what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When the saints gather together, guess whose habitation you're in? Okay? That's why I like it. Here in America, we call this building the church. Okay? No, it ain't. In the lands of Russia, they call the building is a house of prayer. Because they understand that the habitation of the Holy Spirit is where the saints are. Where the saints are. And so first, the gathering, the collective, the corporate body is the habitation of the Holy Spirit. Second thing he does is he creates fellowship. I won't go into detail in it. Second Corinthians chapter 13 talks about the fellowship of the Spirit that the saints has. We all have. Okay, Second Corinthians 13. We all have this fellowship. We, we have the ability... Regardless of your social position, regardless of your um, intellect, regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of whether you were born above the Mason-Dixon line or south of the Mason-Dixon line, whether you were born east of the Mississippi or west of the Mississippi, or whether you were born on another continent, there is a oneness that exists that is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to manufacture it. We will be attracted to people who have like hobbies. You know, maybe I like sports or maybe you like uh, knitting. Um, You know, I don't know what people. My wife likes horses and I feed them. I don't know how that works either. And I'm not sure there's a lot of fellowship there, but the horses like me. Okay, I'm their pal. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? You can't, there's things that you are drawn to that you like because of this, that, or the other, correct? The truth of the matter is, when God is involved in the corporate body, there is a fellowship, koinonia, an intimate relationship that exists. We are one eternally. Um, Acts chapter 2 says that when He comes... He did, if you really remember, he did amazing things. Remember the amazing languages? Everybody was talking in languages of, of the area they lived in. 
And then Peter went out and he preached. Okay? Um, he, he preached and only 3,000 people got saved. All right? But then what happened? Here's, this is key to this. Okay, what happened? You got 3,000 people. You suppose they're all alike? Man, you got a mass of humanity. All right? But it says that they continued daily in the apostles' teaching and what? Fellowship. Breaking of bread. It's koinonia. They were all together. Why? We want to know more. You know, I hear people say, well, you just need to read your Bible. You shouldn't have to tell a Christian that. A Christian should have a hunger that can't be satisfied. Man does not live by bread alone, but by almost every word that comes from... No! When I see a person say, well, I just don't have time to read your Bible, hey, fine. Tell him that when you see him. See, that's the kind of stuff that I see in the body of Christ today that is confusing to me. Why? I see lives that profess Christ that don't look like they possess Christ. Okay? Do you know what eternal life is? I'm I'm supposed to teach on the doctrine of God when I get to Russia. (laughs) 66 books in five days. Piece of cake. Okay? Eternal life is this. God's helping me. You're going to teach on my doctrine. You better sit down and listen. Okay? And I remember teaching this years ago. 17.3 is the doctrine, or is 17.3 of John's gospel is eternal life. This is eternal life, he says. I like that. Jesus is telling me, red letter Bible. Okay? This is eternal life. What? You know God. Interesting concept. I thought it was heaven. That's part of it. But you already, as a Christian, have eternal life. Now? Now. But there's times when I get up and my hands and my knees and everything. It's all right. You're just in a clay pot. Don't worry about it. You already have eternal life. If you know God. Okay, intimate gathering of knowledge so that the relationship becomes stronger and stronger. Listen, if I've got to force you to go do that, the great phrase, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. Okay. He creates fellowship through that intimate relationship. Okay. Third thing he does. He assists us in worship. And I'm not sure how this works. Okay? He basically pulls all the pieces of our lives. I mean, I just look at this room, and they are about as different as the day is long. Okay? Just in this small group. just every, He pulls all of these people together, all of these different collective ex- people, expressions, personality. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I'm type A. I'm type... Is there type B? I've always heard type A. I've never heard. Is there type B? Because it seems like the whole human race is type A. Um, you know, and I want them to be an X. I would be. But I think that's Gen X or whatever they call it. Anyway, he pulls all of these pieces together and they collectively come with an expression of worship. Some people raise their hands. Some people can sing. Some people can't. Okay? Some, I, you know, I, hey! He brings it all together. Who does? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does. Listen, when John went to worship in Revelations chapter 1 and chapter 4, what does he say? I was in the 
Spirit. Okay? The Spirit. Definite article. Numitas. You know what that is, right? The Holy Spirit. I was in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I was worshiping. How? In the Holy Spirit. Now, John will tell you that he saw some stuff and he freaked out. He tried to worship an angel once and a few other odds and ends he did wrong. But who was guiding John's worship? Holy Spirit. So the Spirit works in the act of worship. When believers come before Holy God, the Spirit draws out of us worship to that Holy God. It's it's, it's what drives me nuts when I hear the term worship leader. Uh, Don't take this back to Wayne. But when I hear that term worship leader, who is that? Who is that? Well, that, that, no, it ain't a person. It's the Spirit of God. And I, I, just, I just struggle with that kind of stuff. Why? I want the Holy Spirit to lead my worship. Okay? Um, what else does He do? Oh, yeah. He inspires the Scriptures. God breathed. When I open this book, whether I teach, whether I preach, it's the truth of the Word of God. Whenever it is read, whenever it is heard, remember... Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, give yourself to public reading. Why? Well, that sounds kind of stupid. Go stand out on the corner and read the Bible. Well, but see, God understood that to the power of the Holy Spirit, empowering the words of the Scriptures was going to do what? Accomplish what He sent it out for. Okay? So whenever it's read, whenever it's heard, these did not come by the will of men, Peter said. But they came by holy men of God. Okay, who makes you holy? God does. Holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by what? The Holy Spirit. Okay? Another thing he does corporately. Acts chapter 13. He guides the body. He guides individually, but he guides the body. They took a collective body of people at at, at the church in Antioch. There was a group of them there. And the group said, by the power of the Spirit of God, set for us... Paul and Barnabas. Boy, have we missed that one. Okay? I mean, I would like to start a church plant in Barbados. Okay? But I can't get any of you guys to agree with me. I wish you'd get sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because I know it's the Spirit leading me. What do you see in the church today? I feel like I'm being led. Does the rest of the church feel like you're being led? Well, no. What would they know? Same spirit, ain't it? Paul and Barnabas were set aside because why? They all came together and they sought the Spirit and the Spirit said... I mean, he could have said, set aside Laurel and Hardy. But he didn't. He says, I want Paul and Barnabas. And who knew that? The church knew that. The body of believers knew that. So he directs the corporate life of the church. Okay? Then I want to conclude with this one. Go with me to Ephesians 4, verse 3. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Because all of this, I wanted to, that is what you call a jet tour of pneumatology. Okay, I just covered the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. 
And it came for one reason. Okay? Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 3. Look what it says. Being diligent. Okay, you know what that means, right? Work at it. All right? Work at it. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay? In the corporate body, Holy Spirit ministers by keeping unity in the church. Look around at the church today. You see that? Okay? Listen, we do not need to create unity in the church. It shouldn't even be on a plate of things to do. It's sort of like these books that I get inundated with on how to build the church. I thought Jesus was going to do that. Okay, and I'm sure I don't want to compete with him. I do not need to create unity in the church either. Okay, listen closely. What you know about the Holy Spirit now is that you need to stop creating division. The unity is there. I shared with people in Philippians chapter 2. I said, I can, I can give you instruction. I can give you the counsel that you'll never, ever have a disagreement ever again with anybody. Lost or saved. Wife, spouse, uh, child, your child's teacher, co-worker, bosses. You will never, ever, ever have a never argument again. How do you do that? Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in all humility consider others more important than yourself. Okay? What was wrong with the church in Corinth? They were divided. First six chapters, he deals with that. They're divided. The unity is already there. Chapter 1, verse 10 through chapter 3, verse 23 says, Stop it. Be of the same mindset. Be of the same judgment. Quit doing this. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Quit that. That does not bring glory here. It shows division and the world wonders what kind of weirdos you are. Chapter 4 verse 1 through verse 21 says, Be servants. Be servants to one another. When it comes to your love feast, that would be potluck. Quit sitting there eating all the good food first. Quit getting drunk. Make sure that the poor people got something. What's the matter with you morons? That's Terry's interpretation. That's not Paul's. Okay, but be a servant. Why? Consider others more important than yourself. You know what? We, th- we think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. Okay, and let me tell you something. Do you take care of yourself when it comes to dress? Food? Entertainment? You going to do that for your neighbor? See what I mean? And then when you do that, what do you have? You have unity. Chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Just be an imitator of me as I am of Christ Jesus. You know what the word imitator is in the original language, right? Mimic. Mimic me. Okay, now, I set this up because everything's going to build off of this from now on. All right? There are varieties of gifts. There are varieties of services, ministries. There are varieties of effects. Okay? But there's one source, one purpose. And any time there's disunity, somebody ain't plugged into the purpose nor the source. 
I'm going to show you one text, and I want to show you how crucial this is. Okay? Because we have come a long way from it. All right? It is critical. The Apostle Paul said, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. He said, so it's critical that we minister to each other, and that is what guards our unity. Okay? How important is this? Um, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13 are two of the key, key texts that I have studied that just emphasize this. And I'm just going to lay this as, as we're getting ready to start. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. That's an amazing thing right there. Okay, because he's coming to the Thessalonians and he's telling the Thessalonians congregation. That's the term we call laity. Okay, he says, congregation, it is your responsibility. And the word there that you see in verse 12, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. You know who that is, right? I'm getting blank stares. <laughs> you know what the word appreciate means? It's the root word we get gnosis from, to know. Did you know that? Did you know that it's the congregation's responsibility to get to know the pastor? And it means more than just he lives in Elizabeth. He's about that tall. Sometimes he preaches too long. Sometimes he preaches too short. That's not what he's talking about. There's an intimate relationship. Do you know in this state the average life expectancy? Life expectancy. The average tenure for a pastor in a church in, in Colorado is three years. Why? The people don't know him. You tend to be a little more tolerant when you get to know somebody, don't you? What has happened? Well, we'll get another one. Why? There's a whole bunch of them out there. But the congregation's responsibility is to appreciate to know them. He's supposed to get to know them. Why? Because then there is what happens. A relationship is formed. It grows. You all of a sudden start understanding when you sing the family of God, what the heck was I singing? You don't, you cast away pets you don't want. You don't cast away people. And what do we do in the body of Christ? That's insane. But then he makes this statement. Now, now understand that, yes, there are two responsibilities here. These, These pastors, elders, these leaders, church leaders, should be diligently laboring. And the word... Diligently laboring in the original language is one word, okay, and I'm not even going to try to say it, okay, but it was a veterinary term, meaning that when a horse would stretch out its leg and tear its shoulder muscle, okay, so a leader, a church leader should be what? Working to the point of exhaustion in the word of God. And when you get one of those, you had better get to know him. And then he says, you esteem them highly. What does that mean? Well, yeah, it's got monetary in it. Why? Because those are few and far between. That's what the text says. Listen, once that relationship has started, 
It is the congregation's responsibility to get to know the man of God that God has put over them. Remember, their authority is only in the Word of God. And it is a gift of God that has been given, and you will then have what? Unity. And he says, in the bonds of peace. In Ephesians, here he says, and you do it in love. Agapon. You know what that means, right? I'm loving regardless of the response back. That sets the foundation. What had happened in the church in Corinth? I'm of Paul. Well, Paul ain't here no more. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. That'd be the line of Peter. And then you had the real strong Christians. I'm of Christ. And yet every action that they were performing was divisive. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the supernatural enabling that I have gotten, that you have gotten from God and the unity that it draws together. Jesus says, may they be one as you are one. This is after he gives the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in chapter 16 of John. It's already there. It's already there. That's amazing stuff. You know what's more amazing? Every one of you now is responsible for understanding who the Holy Spirit is. You know what's really cool about that as a pastor? I rejoice that we will be united in the bonds of peace. And should you become divisive, I will remind you. Right? I hear people saying, I, see, I want to see a miracle. You know, I've got this lump or something or bump or swelling or tumor or something, and I need a miracle. I just showed you a miracle. I showed you a miracle that is beyond any physical healing. I showed you a miracle that makes raising the dead look like so what? To take... That many people from that many backgrounds pour the Spirit into them that they are now one? Right. And yet God does it. Our responsibility is not to go become united with people. Our responsibility is to preserve what God has already done. And it's a piece of cake. How do I preserve the unity? Don't be divisive. Don't be divisive. It ain't hard. Why? What was the 11 things I give you that the Holy Spirit had done to you for an individual? Ain't complicated, is it? Why? Our God said, you can't handle complicated. Don't worry, I've taken care of it. All I need you to do is bow. And you know what? I see miracles in individuals. But I also see miracles in the body. No greater miracle. I'll close with this illustration. I was preaching in Russia last year for Proclamation Day. It's when Gabriel came and told Mary she was with child. And uh, they asked me if I'd bring a message. This this little big church. And uh, I thought, wow, cool. Revelations 5. All right, that's the throne room. Who can open the scroll? You know, the lamb was a strength. And I said, that was why we had the little baby thing. Why? So that we would have he who could open the scroll. Okay, the, t- the title deed of existence. And I was preaching that. And I, I love one of my favorite texts. 
And I could look at these, they call them babuskas. Uh, I call them really old women. Okay? And, you know, they may not have been, but they were just really wrinkled. Okay? And I, now, te- remember, I am teaching through an interpreter. And I looked, and there was like a whole roll of these babuskas. And they all began weeping when they thought about the throne room of Jesus Christ and that he's coming back for us. I don't speak their language. I mean, they, they wanted to come up. They wanted to give me stuff. And then, you know, I mean, one lady, you know, it was, I don't want that. I don't even know what that is. Okay, but you keep it. God has blessed you. <laughs> Why? It was the unity of the Spirit. The Word being revealed. The power of the Spirit literally moving across these people. Man, it's alive and well. It's alive and well. I think about Marianne and Ralph. Uh, Hoffman Town is my church away from church. Why? There's a unity that I have there. And it ain't because I know Bubba. Okay? I have... I have better friends than Bubba down there. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, whatever. Okay? But do you understand that? When the word is exposed to the people and the people say, thus saith the Lord in their souls, they come obedient from the heart, guess what happens? God is manifested. Regardless of your age, your culture, your education, your job, your social status. God says... It is me. That is my heart for this congregation. Numbers is not an issue with me. Unity is. Because unity is what God has called for. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Make this alive in us. Make us grab this in such a way, Father, that we just become overwhelmed by it. Father, make this in such a way that when people see us, whether it be individually or collectively, they see the incarnate Christ. Father, grow your church. You've promised. But Father, draw her in such a way that she is one. And Father, may through that oneness the world know that you have sent us. Thank you, Lord, for empowering us with spiritual gifts. Thank you that it is through that spiritual gift we serve one another that the unity is strengthened and division is eradicated. Father, this is what Jesus wants. The chaste and holy church. Begin in my heart. Father, begin in all the hearts that hear. Father, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And yet, Father, we bear witness to the majesty and glory of you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen.